Good morning. Good morning. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I did my push-ups. There you go. You're, we are already here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, uh, I think I got to take a day off today. I'm, I, uh, I'm a little sore, actually, from exercise. Well, I, I so thank you for the opportunity to, to do this, and I'm really impressed with what you've done. Well, thank you. We're just try, we're trying to keep the people entertained. I actually have someone tomorrow that I'm super excited about. I have uh, Giles Martin, who's George Martin's son. Oh, wow. And, you know, yeah, he all like the stuff that's been coming out the last 10 years, you know, digital remasters of all the Beatles work, the Abbey Road that they just reissued. All of that is him. Oh, my God. And he's got his dad's touch. And uh, last week I had Werner Herzog, the director, you know, the, the writer, director, actor from Germany. Wow. Oh, my gosh. You're really taking this in, yeah, in amazing places. You're so, yeah, you're such a renaissance man that it's nice to, to be able to tap into that. I don't know about that, but, but thank you. It's kind of you to say. And, you know, listen, I think, you know, what we've always tried to do is to sort of blend, you know, that those notions of, you know, entertainment, education, enlightenment, and engagement. And, and I think... You know, I hope that the breadth and scope of the guests that we're presenting on Great Minds does that. Uh, But today, Andrea, it's all about you. Okay. Wisconsin. Just look at all that natural beauty. I am a Wisconsin girl, born and bred. From our sparkling waters. I grew up in a small town in Oregon, Wisconsin. And fortress-like forests. I'm basically a farm girl that somehow made her way to the the Big Apple. Wisconsin's wild outdoors is inviting. And the same can be said of our state's four jewels in the national park system big big believer in all the lessons I kind of learned in the, from the Midwest, although I was embarrassed about my Midwest heritage when I first came to, to New York and tried to hide it. So my first gig in New York was uh, I opened up the sales office for a company called Perry Printing, where they had, um, they had printing plants in Baraboo and Waterloo, Wisconsin. Uh, They'd never had an office in New York, and so I opened up a sales office for them, found the real estate and the whole thing in my 20s. I sort of didn't realize that I should be scared (laughs) to do that at the time and just did it. And um, I I think I was pretty successful in part because I was so different from everybody else, um, you know, kind of in that marketplace. And, um, yeah, so yeah. And eventually then I switched over. I had a roommate, interestingly, that was in the branding industry uh, and working for Siegel and Gale. And so I met the Alan Siegel at the time and, and kind of made that jump. And do you remember what it was like that very first day when you went to work? Uh, I guess you were looking for an office. It sounds like this as part of the remit, but do you remember, were you scared? Were you excited? Yeah, no, I think I was, um, I was definitely, um, a mix of both, I would say. Uh, having lived in Spain for a year when I was in going to college, I knew that I wanted to go to a place that was much bigger and had more of a global vibe to it. So I was uh, very excited, but I really didn't have much experience in sales um, and didn't definitely didn't know how to approach building a business, um, you know, in in the largest market in the world uh, for this company. Um, 
And so, yeah, I just, I think some of it was like, how do you start to break things down in a way that you can, you know, just sort of conquer what you're doing. Um, but yeah. And I think some of it's just owning who you are. I think that's what I learned coming out of it. But at the time I felt like I was, I had to try to be something else. I had to try to be, you know, kind of the, the, the New Yorker, the three piece suit New Yorker. Um, and, and that was, that's not who I was or who I am. And, and I know you did really well academically at Wisconsin graduating with honors, but did you do any internship or any work experience that you took with you once you got out into the workplace? Yeah, so many internships. And I, you know, I'm still a, an enormous advocate for, you know, encouraging everyone to take as many opportunities in part to learn what you don't want to do in addition to what you do want to do. So one of my favorite internships was working with the Wisconsin, Wisconsin Special Olympics um, as a part of their, you know, their PR uh, team and getting to participate in the, um, the Olympics themselves and, and being able to cover the athletes. Um, what an enriching experience. It was just incredible. Um, also worked with Madison, had, had a number of different cities, uh, sister cities, including one uh, in El Salvador in Arcatau, and so did a lot of um, did a lot of nonprofit work and fundraising for them. Uh, also stepped in during a couple of, of big moments where uh, teachers and students were kidnapped by the government and had to mobilize a group of people to get them released. So th- those kind of experiences were cool, especially in an environment. Madison was very much you know kind of a left leaning activist town when I went to school there. I think it's changing over time. But uh, those experiences definitely formed who I am. Good evening and thank you for joining us. We're going to begin tonight with breaking news, two stark numbers that show how dramatically coronavirus has changed life in America. Tonight, the death toll nationwide. We're really living in an age of empathy now. And in the face of COVID-19, I think we're all learning a lot about ourselves and you know, really what's at the core um, uh, for all of us. We're going through a period of time where I think we're going to be learning a lot about what actually matters to people. Um, and it'll be interesting to see the, you know, what what kind of behaviors we're seeing throughout the pandemic and, you know, how it changes us as we come out of it. Um, and so what I would say is that my transition from, you know, being at Omnicom for 16 years as the CMO of Interbrand um, and then joining Gary Vaynerchuk and VaynerMedia and VaynerX um, and having been a part of the organization for the past two years, uh, I'm incredibly moved by our understanding of what's going on in culture um, and sort of the rawness of that. Um, you know, what Gary has been able to build as an entrepreneur first and a businessman first who understand cultures um, and how to get close to what's going on out in the real world to understand, uh, you know, how do we follow attention? Where is attention right now? How do we understand how to get into uh, all kinds of walks of life and understand their mindset and their behaviors and engage them in ways that are really real and of the now, um, you know, has been huge for me. And and so to be in an environment that um, is all about what's actually going on, um, you know, is, is very liberating in many ways and to me is purpose-led. Um, and so the more that we can help companies get closer to culture, 
uh, and to be able to be authentic. And that's where the purpose-led part comes in. It's not just a bolt-on purpose, but rather if we can allow them to really lean in in a way that's incredibly genuine and generous, hopefully, to engage with audiences that matter, uh, but in a modern way that is, you know, truly endemic of um, you know, the, the kinds of behaviors that we're seeing out in the world, you know, we can help truly help marketers, um, you know, deliver the kinds of results they need to deliver. Fantastic. So let's take just half a step back before we uh, step into your modern day role with, with Vayner. You had 16 years at Interbrand rising to CMO. The best brands uh, list that they put out every year is really the bellwether for that. When you go back and you look, you were involved in an awful lot of those introductions, I'm sure. What are the brands that come to mind that when you say, you know, you're sitting on the front porch in Wisconsin, you know, and looking out on a lake, you know, 30 years from now, boy, they, they really were the best. And and conversely, were there some brands that always ended up at the top that you thought to yourself, eh, I don't know if they really belong there? Yeah, I think having overseen the best global brands study for the 16 years uh, that I was there, you know, to to see the yeah the rise and the fall of different brands and in categories, frankly, um, was probably the most fascinating you know opportunity that I had. And getting to know, to your point, the CMOs that sat behind those brands, um, I think there were certain you know pretty dramatic see changes where we could start to see those that were entering the top 10 um, and who, who were falling out of the top 10, right? So the, you know, the, um, the rise of the, the Googles of the world and Facebooks and, um, it, you know, and seeing tremendous brands like McDonald's start to, to struggle. And even, you know, some of my favorite brands like a GE, um, you know, start to slip a little bit in that, in that top 10 and really understanding the importance of, of, um, identifying when you needed to take a, a bit of a pivot uh, and really listen and learn. And again, in this age of empathy, really understand where what you needed to be offering. And it's not just the marketing, right? Um, it has to be the product as well. Uh, and so I think that, you know, the, those kinds of um, year over year changes started to accelerate, um, you know, as you know, in sort of the last uh, several years that I was there. Um, I think the other thing, I founded something called the uh, Interbrand's Best Breakthrough Brands. And I think those were almost more interesting to look at uh, in some ways because you saw the rise of these very up-and-coming disruptive brands, and we did it by geography. So, um, you know, there might be some startups that were incredibly interesting in Brazil that we'd never heard of in the United States um, only to then be able to take those, you know, kind of findings and um, to be able to, you know, cross pollinate the learnings. Uh, and so I think the, you know, the thing, and that's something that frankly, I love so much at Vayner, the fact that we have a small to medium sized business entity in Sasha. Uh, and then we have Vayner Media that serves more of the Fortune 500s. The learnings we get from these, you know, very small organizations are as important as, you know, the learnings that we're getting working for some of the big blockbuster brands. In some ways, this is going to Vayner is a, is a, is a bookend in a sense. You started with Allen and with Siegel and Gale, an independent boutique shop, and I think Vayner's a little too big to call it a boutique now, then 16 years as part of the big Omnicom machine, and now with Vayner. Tell us how you got to Vayner. How did you and Gary find each other? 
Yeah. So <laughs> I've been watching Gary, um, you know, from afar for quite some time. It's poison. And I push so hard, so hard and will through my vehicle, which isn't meditation, which isn't health and wellness, which isn't nonprofit. My vehicle's business. I can't help it. It's what I love. I love building And uh, I had worked with James Orsini, who uh, at the time at Vayner was uh, the chief operating officer. And I'd worked with him when he was the global CFO and COO at Interbrand. Um, and we'd always remained close. And he he said, Andrea, we're ready for you. You have to come in and you have to, you know, you, ha- you have to, you have to join us. And I said, oh, I don't know if I'm ready <laughs> to, to join you as yet, but I definitely want to meet Gary one-on-one. Uh, and I have to say that experience was such an amazing one in my ongoing conversations with him. Uh, he didn't want to talk about business at all. He wanted to talk about the fact that I grew up on, you know, an American farm and that I learned everything I know about marketing from my days at the farmer's market in Madison. Uh, he wanted to know what my relationship was like with my parents um, and with my colleagues, because to him, culture is the the most important thing. Um, and if, you know, if we have a culture of trust and camaraderie, that we can move that much faster as a result. And I left the experience feeling, I, I said to Gary's uh, chief of staff at the time or his uh, assistant, I said, I think I can't tell if I just went to church or I just got out of a club. And he said, exactly. So, you know, Gary's energy is one that's very intoxicating. But frankly, I didn't want to join an organization that was led just by, you know, a single individual. Um, And it wasn't until I met the rest of his team. Um, You know, he has a really strong bench of of senior leaders uh, who I love and adore and bring a lot of different perspectives, a lot of different energies, um, and round us out in ways that make us uh, who we are today. Right. And, and I think that's something, and one of the reasons I was so thrilled to have you on Great Minds is the Vayner team has a lot of depth. You've got a very, very strong leadership team, a very strong bench. Tell us about that, I won't call it a clash, but the challenge of being CMO of a company where everybody wants him. You know, Gary is such a personality, and I know one of the conversations we had when I went over to visit you at your new office in uh, Hudson Yards, a relatively new office, I said to you very specifically and purposefully, I don't want to talk about Gary. I want to talk about you. I want to talk about getting your other senior leaders on stage at Advertising Weeks all over the world because you have such talented people. But Talk about the particular challenges of leading a company where there is so much heat around your founder and chief visionary. What's that like? Yeah, I think that's our our big next challenge, right? We're 10 years young. We are now a global entity, um, you know, having just opened offices in, in Singapore. We have offices in London and New York and LA and Chattanooga, Tennessee. Um, but I think, yeah, people are very, you know, Gary's contagious. He, you know, started his company as an entrepreneur running his family's business and took it from $3 million to $60 million without a single penny of investment. And people are attracted to that kind of success and his dynamism. Um, and yet, uh, yeah, I mean, our opportunity is to really be able to lead the industry in what's going to be a pretty transformative next chapter, I think. Um, and I think COVID-19 is probably going to accelerate 
the pace of change uh, in many respects. Um, and so I think the more that we lean into that, um, and the, you know, Gary has an unbelievable capacity um, to be able to connect not only with the, the marketplace, but with all of our people. And um, we learn that from him. And I think the way that we're going to be able to scale in all kinds of ways as we go forward, while still retaining our culture, which I think is the trickiest thing with 800 people now, how do we continue to grow at, a, you know, at significant levels and retain that closeness, that entrepreneurial spirit, um, you know, that kind of generosity that we have with one another and our clients? How do we retain that as we grow? Um, and so I think it's, you know, in part because he's picked leaders that are first and foremost um, incredibly connected and that they're passionate about humanity, um, they're passionate about what's going on out in the world, um, but we've created an environment of trust that allows us to be able to, to lean in. Fantastic. And, and I think in some ways, as a fan and an observer of Gary, to me, he's sort of a contemporary take on the throwback when our industry was filled with charismatic leaders. And one of the things that I look at is, you know, where is that charismatic leadership in our industry today? And there's not a lot of them. It's a relatively short list. And Gary's probably, you know, at the top or darn close. Yeah. I mean, Gary is a consumer and he, you know, he doesn't pretend to be anything other than exactly who he is all the time, each and every day. And I think sometimes he's misunderstood uh, because he is so, you know, overt about his beliefs. Um, but, you know, the, the interesting thing is that he's, he's been incredibly uh, consistent in terms of what he's preached. And in a world where we're now seeing pretty dramatic changes from, you know, having a very TV first approach to having one that's more, you know, celebratory of, what's going on in very, um, you know, personalization at scale and really leaning into the, what makes us different and what makes us the same. Um, and, and having that contextual creative celebrated at scale is, you know, is something that he's, he saw it very early on. Um, others didn't. And we found ourselves partnering with very specific types of clients that had um, big ambitions, but sometimes needed to have the help of someone else that could act as a catalyst for change in the organization. Those are the people that we tend to work with the most. Um, but it'll be interesting to see, um, especially on the, you know, the heels of everything that's going on now economically, um, who is it that we're going to be serving next and how can we be in service of, um, in that, you know, in this huge sea change that I think we're going to experience. Yeah. I think clearly some of the behaviors that we as a culture are adapting to now, some of that is going to stick around. Yeah, absolutely. I think everybody's asking, you know, what is that new normal going to look like? And I think that, um, you know, in this age of empathy, I think that we are going to need to be much more tuned in to what's going on in culture and to understand um, the different emerging platforms. How can we tap into them um, in ways that 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 really move the needle in terms of engagement um, and and reflect, <clears throat> excuse me, what people need today? Uh, but can can create sort of those long-term engaging relationships that every brand seeks. 
So the so the agency is about ten years old. You've been there a little over two years, first as chief client officer, and for the past year as global CMO. Looking back on your last year as CMO, what is the one or two things that you got done that you were particularly proud of? And are there one or two things that you fell short that are still on the agenda that you'd like to accomplish? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know the the most fascinating thing is just being able to launch as many businesses as we have, even in the two years that I've been there. The pace of change is absolutely remarkable. Um, and because Gary is constantly, you know, not only seeing these white spaces, he acts on them earlier than most. And so I think, um, you know, my ability to sort of keep up with that pace, having been from an Omnicom where, you know, the, the pace, frankly, was quite a bit slower. And so I think that one of my challenges uh, continues to be how do we make sure that we're staying ahead of, um, or I shouldn't say staying ahead of him, there's no way to do that, <laughs> but um, to be able to stay, make sure we're staying in tune with the marketplace and understand where the market is moving and our being able to fill that, those unique needs, I think is, um, you know, is, is incredibly important. So I feel very proud about the, um, the, the work that I've been able to do with all of the teams in looking at the full VaynerX family. We have a lot of different uh, entities within our portfolio, our family of companies, um, and to be able to celebrate all of those rather than just looking at VaynerMedia. So we've got a speakers bureau and we've got a talent group and we have, um, we have a, um, a data reporting entity in Tracer. Um, we, I talked about the small to medium-sized business group and Sasha and, you know, VaynerMedia. And so being able to celebrate all of those different worlds and start to connect the dots across them has been a, you know, a big, um, big moment for us as an organization and a big moment for me um, being the first, you know, CMO and helping the organization to shift into a world where we've got, we have this big playground that we can all participate in. I think that earlier on we were, you know, somewhat siloed, I would say. So I think that that integration has been really important. Um, I think the other thing is we've really leaned into a new methodology that we call the Vayner volume model that um, really debunks that, you know, kind of TV first approach. Um, so we celebrate the idea that we can come up with many different hypotheses that we put out into the world out. You know, we've got this thing called the internet. Let's use it. Let's put some small bets out into the world, see which ones rise up. And then we can double down in terms of our investment, uh, in terms of the big bet creative that, that we're creating, but we're not relying on the chief creative officers to determine what is the right creative. We're relying on the marketplace to be co-creating those things with us. We're listening, we're learning. And so launching that that methodology both internally as well as externally has been a big focus of mine and, and something that's been incredibly rewarding and challenging because it meant shifting our 800-person organization uh, to a methodology that was, um, you know, requires a 24-7 commitment, requires really agile ways of working. Um, we were already working in a way that was somewhat agile, but this was that, you know, that that bigger step forward. So have really enjoyed that. Uh, in terms of the big, you know, what what have I not been able to accomplish? I think that, yes, you know, continuing to obviously celebrate Gary and all that he is to the organization, but put the spotlight on a lot of our other, you know, really fantastic leaders, um, Rob Lenoir uh, uh, from, sorry, Rob Lenoy, <laughs> our chief 
creative officer, uh, Wanda Pogue, our chief strategy officer. We've got great leaders around the world uh, that perhaps we didn't have in the past. And so being able to really evolve our reputation to one that grows beyond Gary, I think is, uh, you know, is our natural next step. Gotcha. And we'll be very happy to help you with that, putting your great people on stage all over the world. I know you will. Why the office in Chattanooga? Is that specific to a client? No, we we really want to make sure that we're not just on the coast that we celebrate the mindset and, you know, the kind of mentality of, of, you know, certainly in the United States um, of those that are in the Midwest or in the, you know, the South. And so, yeah, so Chattanooga is a, you know, is a great, um, you know, opportunity for us to get insights, not only for some of our larger clients, but now they, that particular office also serves um, a lot of our small to medium sized business companies as well through Sasha. I love that. I love that. It's a great town. I've been there. My my daughter and I went a couple of years ago to Bonnaroo in Manchester and uh, in Tennessee, and we got out of Dodge uh, Sunday night and got to spend some time in Chattanooga. And uh, what a, I love the South. And I, I think that's yeah, very so wise, great. very wise to tap into different cultures as part of the company. And lastly, even with this frenetic pace, um, at Vayner, you've maintained some long associations in academia at the, at the Miami Ad School, at SVA. How important a, a part of your life is that, that, that giving back to the young people? I love my role in being able to be a part of, uh, of uh, academia. It's really important to me. Uh, it's funny because each year I think, oh, should I take on another year in, in, um, in particular in the work that I do with the School of Visual Arts in teaching a course called Pitch Perfect, uh, where we celebrate uh, the work with an individual client. So we've worked with Google, um, HP, PBS, and this year we're working with Uber. Um, and what I love about these courses is I, I learn so much more from the students than honestly I think they learn from me. They have optimistic uh, perspectives and the way that they think um, is, is something that's hugely transformative and makes me very excited about where we can take our industry. Uh, and so I love just keeping my feet on the ground and, and seeing what's the thinking coming out of students that come from all over the world uh, for the School of Visual Arts, um, but equally with the Miami Ad School and helping them with things like diversity uh, programs where we can give scholarships to people and make sure that we're inviting people into the industry uh, that come from all different walks of life. Yeah, that's fantastic. We we did something years ago with Keith Reinhardt, who's been very involved in all kinds of incredible things for so many, so many years. And we did a pitch where we had three student teams, and then there was one agency team, I think from Tribal DDB back in the day when Matt Freeman was running it. And uh, the brief was, if Brand America was your client, what would you do? And this was pre the age of, of Trump where we are now. And the student teams were incredible. Uh, and actually, Tribal, the agency team, did not win. One of the student teams won. Um, but oh, we, that's fantastic. Yeah, we would love to put Pitch Perfect and some of the, work with you to put some of those students on stage in the fall in New York. I think that'd oh, be fantastic. Fa- yeah, that love would be that. terrific. Love that idea. I love Keith Reinhardt is amazing. And yeah, his, yeah, his brilliance and his commitment to students. Um, in addition, and, and the way he schooled actually all the people in the agencies, right? 
is just invaluable. And uh, yeah, love, love the heartbeat he gives the industry is something that's um, greatly missed. Yeah. What was what was incredible about him um, is he has keynoted for us all over the world. He came to Advertising Week Latam, our first year in Mexico City, and also came to Tokyo for us to Advertising Week Asia. And I remember him sitting. Most speakers at that level just sort of roll into the green room a few minutes before you know, it's their gig on stage, and then they leave quickly afterwards. Keith comes and stays, sits and listens to others, and well into his 80s, sits and takes notes the old way, you know? And I think that his commitment to learning at this age, um, not only to teaching, but also to learning, is so inspirational. Okay, so I got one more question for you. Okay, let's assume ready. Let's assume that the NFL comes back in the fall. Let's take a leap of faith and say that normalcy, uh, the new normalcy, will be restored in some fashion. And come the fall, the New York Jets are playing football <laughs> <laughs> on a Sunday. How does the thought, I hope the Jets win today so Gary's in a better mood tomorrow, does that thought run through your head? It does, absolutely. And I will say that uh, for as positive as Gary is, that he definitely has a, 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 some mood swings, I will say, depending on how his, how his team performs. Right. Oh, <laughs> gosh. Sure. Oh, gosh. Because <laughs> Gary is a, for those that don't know, is a legendary Jets fan. And uh, I think other Jets fans would be very happy if he were able to convince Woody Johnson to sell the team. Yeah, well, you know, Gary wants to do all kinds of things. He wants to, you know, he's been very public about his interest in buying the Jets, uh, but he also wants to buy a lot of businesses that are undervalued. So it'll be interesting to see from here, you know, what transpires. Uh, Is he going to be starting to buy up some of those brands, some of those iconic brands, or uh, are we still focused on strictly the agency? Terrific. Well, I think the uh, normally uh, we take a look at, at a crystal ball and say, what do you see? But with someone like Gary and the talent that you have on your team, starting with you, Andrea, uh, I think the sky's the limit for Vayner. And uh, you've been a phenomenal guest here on Great Minds. Thank you for the opportunity to join, especially during a time like this. It's very comforting to have you gathering up um, all these great minds and sharing the stories and intelligence um, in a way that's that's incredibly generous. So thank you for ha- having me as, as one of your guests. We will stay close and stay healthy. Absolutely. All you right. too. All Thanks right. again, Matt. Bye-bye. All right. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for listening. And for more content just like this, visit advertisingweek360.com. Production on this episode was by Jack Hirschman and Brendan Porter. An original music was by Ian Levy.